welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Actually, it was probably better because then I would be less nervous. I wouldn't have to sit there as long while you're going through the readings and not concentrate on the reading. So, my name is Denise, um, and I am a sex and lust addict uh, from Chino. First, I'd like to say thank you to the committee for um, asking me to share my experience, strength, and hope with you here tonight. Um, I'm very honored uh, to be able to do that. Um, and before I get started, it's a practice of mine to always ask my higher power for a little guidance and direction, because if I plan my speech out, then I would get caught up in grandiosity and um, Ego. I mean, I used to think that because I'm a female, I have no ego, but I'm going to tell you I have a very big ego. So if you'll just take a few moments with me and anyone who um, does know the third step prayer, um, join in with me if you'd like. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy love and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Thank you. Okay. um, First of all, um, to let you know, I just went completely blank. I looked up and I saw all these people and I went completely blank. How did I get here? Well, I did earn my seat and it took me a long time to accept the fact that I earned my seat here. I did not want to be a sexaholic. I did not want to speak from a podium and tell you about um, my sex addiction. Um But I have learned that it's from the people around me that have shared their own experience, strength, and hope that relieved me of the shame and the guilt that I was carrying that would not allow me to share my own. And so from from what was passed on to me, I have to pass it on to somebody else. The topic of this very conference is awesome, working with others, because I believe that that is the gift and the only way that we remain sober a day at a time. Um, It has proven itself over and over again, and we can see that by the number of people sitting in this room tonight, Um, in both programs. And and that's how it works. And my whole life I spent trying to do everything on my own, and so when I came to 12-step programs, it was very foreign to me to have to reach out. And I didn't want to do that because I believed that I was supposed to be strong enough to take care of everything on my own. And so it was very, very difficult for me to let go of that. 
And that, and that takes me back to when I first started and, and said that I didn't have an ego. And I really did believe that, that because I was female, I wasn't supposed to have pride and ego. But it was my pride and ego that kept me out there so long because I couldn't reach out my hand to somebody else and say, I need help. And thank God that I did because there was somebody there at the other side. And today I have to be that person on the other side reaching back and saying, yes, you're welcome here. And I know your pain. So I was born into um, a family of dysfunction and addiction. Uh, my father uh, was a violent, abusive alcoholic. He was also a pedophile. Um, my mother had five children by the time she was 21 years old, uh, seven altogether, and I'm number two in the lineup. Um, my mother also suffered from sex addiction and still does today. Um, so we have a long history and generations of sex addiction in our family. Um, my father uh, sexually abused me from the from about two years old to twelve, and my and my grandfather also um, from about eight years old to twelve. And the difference in the two for me was my father was very violent in his acts. He was um, uh, sadistic. He uh, claimed that I was a devil possessed, and he was just trying to drive the devil out of me. But yet my grandfather had a different kind of, of, of he um, was very gentle and very loving, and I was his princess. And so I had a very confused message about what sex was about. And for me, sex was love, love was sex. And, and I didn't know anything any different. And my parents, because the generations was all revolved around sexual addiction, and, and this problem that that went for generations in our families, the people that they associated with all had similar problems because then, you know, no one would call them on their actions. And so it was pretty much an acceptable way of life. And I had no idea that the things that were going on and the things that I was doing myself um, were not right, that they weren't acceptable behavior. And so for me, I learned early on about flirtation and, and um, seduction, and, and my idea was I know what men want, and for me to get what I want, I just had to give them what they wanted. And, and I grew up that way, and for a long time I was out there um, acting out in my addiction. At about uh, 13 years old, I was introduced to alcohol, drugs, and uh, sex outside the home. Um, and this was a whole new world for me, you know. And and it was finally, prior to this point, I used association and I used fantasy and I used sex with self in order to escape the reality of what was going on around me. And so now at 13 years old, I found alcohol, drugs, and sex outside the home. And I was in heaven. Um, I mean, it, it relieved me of all the pain that I had going on, and I loved it all. And, and I lived that way for a very long time. Um, so I started at 13, and I did not get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous until I was uh, 29 years old. So the insanity and the combination of all of those addictions together, um, I don't even have to tell you. You can just let your imagination run wild. Um so I was crazy, and I created a lot of havoc in a lot of people's lives, and and my including my own. I was uh, suicidal. I was on a suicidal run for many years, and I really did not care about my life. 
And I thought that I was just here to exist and to get by. And I needed to find the best way to do that. And for me, it was drugs, alcohol, and sex. And and I just simply didn't know that there wasn't any other way. Um, my addictions, of course, led me into marriages and uh, things of that sort, as um, some of us uh, have run into as well. Uh, one day a light bulb went off for me. Um, I had a baby that was now my second child, uh, a couple of months old, and I was coming off a drunk. Um, it was 5 o'clock in the morning. I had been up all night, and I had this little baby by the arm um, in my face screaming at this child, you know, how dare you want to eat right now? Um, don't you know that I've been up all night? And um, then a light bulb went off and said, you know what, you're, you're creating your family's history. You're reliving the nightmare. And, you know, now you're the perpetrator, although I didn't use those words at that time. So I knew what I had to do was call a sponsor that um, I had already acquired because I uh, had attempted AA before. And I had about 15 months sobriety when I decided I needed to have an affair. And the only way for me to do that was to drink. So I gave up that AA sobriety in order to satisfy my sex addiction. Um, And I was only out there a short period of time when I decided to come back to Alcoholics Anonymous and I called that sponsor who was there for me. And so I spent the next eight years... um, Working a very diligent recovery program in Alcoholics Anonymous, the steps, being a service, doing all of that stuff, um, and working on a relationship with a higher power. However, I was still fixing my bad feelings with men and um, sex. And um, I had no idea that it was related at all to um, any of the stuff. And and for me, it was still very much a a way of life. In fact, when I did my four-step in Alcoholics Anonymous, one of my biggest character defects was lust. And when I read the definition that my sponsor had given me for lust, I said, oh, my God, this is love. And I really didn't know. It was the same definition that I had used all along for love. And um, so it was kind of an awakening then, but I wasn't ready to take a look at it. Um, one of the areas that I got into a lot of trouble with in my uh, acting out is in the workplace. Um, I always had male bosses, and I had this thing with authority figures. And in order for me to be, you know, the best in the workplace, um, I used all of my methods of flirtations and, you know, seduction and dress and all of that wonderful stuff in order to be well-liked by my bosses. Um, I was married twice, Those two of those husbands, um, I've been married three times now, two of those husbands were uh, former bosses, um, so I had a, a history of this, and what got me here was I was now in a job uh, with boss number seven, I was currently in a relationship with boss number six, who was married when we got started in our relationship. Um, and I started dating him because I didn't want anything at all to do with men, and he was a safe bet. Um, I just wanted to have sex. I didn't want a relationship. And so, I mean, it was my God-given right, you know, to to have that. 
And I mean, these things just didn't occur to me. And it's just absolutely amazing to me how this program changes our thinking. Um, so I was in this relationship, and we had been in this relationship for three years. And I, I now had this new boss, number seven, and I felt like I was getting sucked in, that somehow uh, I was getting sucked in. And I felt compelled to be in a relationship with this person, and I could not put into words what was taking place. But I knew that I was in trouble, and I didn't want to jeopardize this relationship with boss number six, so um, I decided maybe I should go back to therapy. And um, my current boyfriend was seeing a therapist who he thought very highly of, and so I went in to see him. And the first thing that he told me to do was go to SLA. And um, so I thought, well, sex and love addicts, I mean, that kind of makes sense. I can I can deal with that. And so I tried to find one of those meetings. And the, I went to a couple, but they weren't where they were supposed to be. And my boyfriend was going to SA. So I said, well, what's wrong with SA to this therapist? And he said, well, that would be great. And I really had no idea um, what I was facing. I really didn't. And when I went to my first meeting... I was terrified. It took me several months, basically, to bring up the courage to go. And um, I promised my therapist that I would go on this particular night. And I went to the Thursday night meeting in Chino, and I was greeted by a gentleman by the name of Mike. I don't um, think he's still out there. Um, and he told me that it was not a newcomer's meeting and that I could not stay because I had to go to an information meeting. And I was very adamant because I could be real kind of witchy when I wanted to be. <laughs> and I said, well, I promised my therapist that I would be here and I am a sex addict or I would not be here. And so his big concern was whether I could identify or not, you know. I mean... <laughs> And for me, it was like, why else would I go to one of those meetings? <laughs> it is not what I signed up for. Um, anyways, I identified with what was read. We were reading from the white book. And I was the only woman at that meeting, and I was very uncomfortable, and I didn't feel very safe. Um, and I just knew that they were all looking at me, but I wouldn't look at anybody. I looked at the floor. And, you know, I, I had this vision in my mind of what you guys do at SA meetings. <laughs> I mean, if you really think about it, when you don't know anything about um, this disease, then what you think is, I mean, what do they sit around and do? So, much to my surprise, we were getting recovery in, in SA meetings. And they were reading from a book. And I identified with the feelings that were going on in the book. And I bought that book that night, and I took it home, and I read um, maybe the first 20 pages over the next two days. And I went into my therapist, and I had that book, and I had it all highlighted. And I said, oh, my God, I'm on every page. I couldn't believe it. Um, I was absolutely horrified that I fit in this program. And I did not want to belong here, you know, and um, I fought it tooth and nail. And, and but many of my friends from Chino know that, Gary over here and Steve and, and the people that I saw week after week. And, and I just did not want to belong to Sexaholics Anonymous. 
And um, I was still in this relationship, and your sobriety definition was uh, not according to my plan. <laughs> and I tried really hard to get you to change it, <laughs> but you weren't going for it. So um, I struggled for a very long time, and I was in and out, in and out, and um, I also had this huge problem with sex with self. And any time I had feelings that came up, I did not know how to deal with them. Um, I had to relieve those feelings. And for me, it's a big cycle. And what happens for me is I feel shame. And, and when I feel shame, I move to guilt. And I'm an awful person. And, uh, and I'm bad. And I'm no good. And um, when I get into the guilt, then I isolate. Because I don't know how to talk to anybody about what I'm feeling, and sometimes I don't even know what it is I'm feeling. So I have to isolate, which creates loneliness for me. And loneliness brings about pain. And whenever I'm in pain, I resort to fear. And fear for me is panic, sheer panic. And when panic hits, I hear these voices and they scream, get the fix. Get the fix. I don't care what you got to do. Get the fix. And so the cycle starts over. You get the fix, the shame, the guilt, the pain, the fear, um, the fix. And I think our white book puts it very, very well. In order to be free of it, you have to do it. And and that was me. And that was probably one of the first things I underlined a couple of times in there. Um, and I wanted all of that to end. I went to a women's retreat, not an essay-related retreat, but a women's Christian retreat. And there was a girl in our group therapy session that got brave enough to talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, lust. And I had, did, had no sobriety at that point, and I was in the big cycle of the shame and the guilt. And, and I felt, you know, very, very small, and when was I ever going to do it? And I couldn't stop acting out with myself, and... You know, if I could do this sobriety thing in the relationship, but then I couldn't do it over here. And then I could do it over here, but I couldn't do it in the relationship. And it was just a constant battle for me. And I was at this retreat, and this woman started talking about it. And my purpose for being at that retreat was to find some female friends. My entire life was associated with men. I did not have female friends. And the biggest reason was I was terrified that they were going to be just like me. You know, and, and I had no, uh, I mean, if I took your husbands or your boyfriends or, you know, you obviously were going to do the same thing to me and I trusted nobody. Um, I knew that I liked the power and control game with the men and I could play it well, so I was more comfortable in that arena. But I knew that if I was going to get anywhere in the sobriety thing, I had to start connecting with women. And so my purpose for this retreat was to meet some women friends. And what came out of that retreat was the first women's meeting um, out in Chino area on Wednesday night. And um, three of us got together and we put that meeting together. And uh, today we now have as many as 12 attending at one time. Sometimes there's just the original four, but sometimes it's as big as 12. And it's been an awesome experience. And I knew for me the only way that I was going to get any sobriety was I had to go back and look at what did I do in AA to stay sober? What did I do? And they put me to work immediately. 
And I knew the only way that I was going to acquire any time or get this program was to get involved. And so I made this meeting my big involvement. And then I started working with the women in the group. And these women that started this thing with me knew my struggle with the sobriety definition. And I would go there and I would complain and I would gripe and they'd say, we love you, keep coming back. You know, and, and I had a desire to make it. I just didn't know how to do it, you know. And then I started reaching out and talking to other women. And I'm going to tell you, that's the biggest gift of sobriety, is to be able to share what happened to me when I see somebody hurting and crying. And I can say, you know, Peggy, I felt that exact same way. You know, I know your pain, but you can do it. And, and and that's what people said to me. You can do it. And and so finally, I got married to this man that I had been in the relationship for a very long time. And we got married last November. Um, and he also is a, a member of this wonderful program of uh, essay. I can now call it a wonderful program of essay. I mean, it's okay for me to belong here now. And and it's mostly because I have acquired so many friends and close, valuable relationships. They're not surface relationships. I had to do a big change. I had to quit dressing the way I was dressing. I mean, I mean, these girls, come on, girls, tell them. They didn't even recognize me tonight. You know, I my hair is down, I wear no makeup, I wear my husband's jeans and a t-shirt, you know, and so it's like, whoa, is that you, Denise? But, but anyways, that's the extreme I had to go to for me, because I was used to dressing up and being the show, and I wanted the attention, and now I'd rather just kind of blend in and talk about real feelings, because for me today, those feelings that I talked about before are guests. And uh, um, if I can remember them all, shame for me is about humility and humanity. Guilt today is about amends. Um, loneliness today means I need to reach out or reach in. And pain is growth and healing. And fear um, is wisdom and knowledge. And the last one is anger, of which I don't talk about very much because I still stuff my anger, and anger still kind of means rage for me, but um, anger is protection. And with that, I think I'm about out of time, and I'd just like to say if anybody's here and you're relatively new uh, in SA, no matter what you feel or where you're at, and I know how much you hate being here, just keep coming back. That's all you need to do is keep coming back. You bring the body, the mind eventually shows up. Mind did. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Anyways, I love you all. Thanks for having me here. Thanks again, Denise. Um, thanks for sharing with us.
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.